Well, good morning again, Woodside. Hope you've been having a wonderful weekend. Everybody, yes? No? Well, good to see you all. If you join us online, it's great to see you as well. I can't quite see you, but you can see us. And uh, it's great to have you. Um, if you're new to our church, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, it's a privilege to have you all here today to just open the Word of God and worship and celebrate with us. Man, we're so glad you are here. Um, I want to share with you personally today, as uh, every campus pastor is able to share what they want today, and not that we don't share what we want anyways on Sundays, but we normally are preaching from the same text is what I mean by that. And uh, we're all preaching at uh, the same place, using the same outline. It's a beautiful thing of mutual submission as we walk through life together. I'm on the team of people as we work together on the sermons. And it's amazing to watch as collectively you work together and someone else shares something that you maybe didn't get before and you come together and something amazing and beautiful. But a few times a year, three or four times a year, uh, we're up to like, hey, preach whatever you want to. And so today, specifically, I want to look at Acts chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me, for us going into the fall, my heart, my, my belief of where I want to see us here in this place move into the fall as a Holy Spirit-centered uh, church, a Holy Spirit-filled church, and what that looks like for us and what it looked like for the first church as an example uh, for us. Uh, as I was preparing uh, for this Sunday, I was reminded of how much I love my firstborn. I love all my children equally, but I just reminded significantly, uh, I love my, my firstborn, Addison. Um, it's a great privilege of mine, and I'm super thankful for that. You know, as you have numerous children, you want to make sure, or I don't know, uh, sometimes you're like, man, I hope... The firstborn, because I have three daughters, and the two littlest ones think my oldest one, Addison, is like everything. They want to be like her. They want to have the same shoes she has. They want to like hang out with her. And what I love is amazing. Even this weekend, we were up north, and my oldest, who's 14, and then my middle is 12, my youngest is going on nine, that my 14-year-old still wants to hang out with the little ones. Usually, it's like the little ones want to hang out with the older one, and the older one is like, nah, I get lost. Scram. But my oldest was upset this weekend because the littlest ones weren't including her. And she loves them and she wants to be with them. I mean, they fight and they bicker like all children do. Maybe yours don't. Mine are working out their salvation, you know, with fear and trembling. It's fine. But as they are, they actually enjoy each other. And what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying in all of this, what I love is that my oldest is one that I can unashamedly tell my two younger ones to look up to. They watch her as, as they maybe didn't. They watch her every night sit in her chair, on her bed, in her room, and do her devotions, and read the scriptures, and, and journal. To the point now, my, my almost nine-year-old and my 12-year-old now are wanting to do their devotions and read the scriptures at night on their own. And it's amazing and a beautiful thing to me that I'm not in a place where I'm like, eh, maybe don't do that, but like, their older sister is one that we can say, firstborn, the first at it, man, she, she genuinely loves the Lord, and she has her own flaws and failures, but in general, I can say to my daughters, man, I'm so glad that you have your older sister to look up to, because she's got a great head on her shoulders, and she loves Jesus, and she follows after her mother in most things. So I can be like, man, look up to her, that's great. I love that, and I share that with you because... 
The first church, when you read it in Acts chapter 2, is an amazing picture for us. I love that it's a church that we can look up to and say, man, we want to live like that. We want to model our church after that church. The things that they loved, we want to love. The things that they devoted themselves to, we want to devote our hearts and our souls and our efforts towards a little background in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning. You probably know this day in Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. Jesus leaves. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. I'm going to my father. But what I, what I need you to do, what you're about to go and do and, and plant the church and move forward the kingdom of God, you're not going to be able to do in your own efforts. You're going to need the helper. I'm going to be preaching on that in a little while, a number of weeks. The helper that is to come and equip you and, and empower you to pull off everything that I want you to do. And so they stay, and they're there in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, and when they're in all one place, the Holy Spirit falls on them and fills them, and there are thousands of individuals, maybe millions of individuals that are there in Jerusalem, as it's one of the times of the year where all the people would, would transfer and make their way, pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and Peter stands up and speaks And he speaks by the power of the Holy Spirit as he shares in a way, in such a way that all that hear them, while they're in all different languages, hear Peter share the gospel, basically say, hey, I don't know what to tell you guys. The guy you murdered just a short bit ago is actually the Messiah. He came, but he didn't just die. He rose from the grave. He's with the Father. And I love at the end of that passage, it says, so those who received his word, because they were cut to the heart, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Last week, if you weren't there, it was an amazing thing to see. 30-some, I think it was 35 or 36 people ended up entering the waters of baptism in Oxford as they shared how they had repented. They had given their lives to Jesus, and now they were walking into the waters of baptism in obedience to this scripture and many others, professing their love for Jesus. And they say, we're cut to the heart. What do we do, Peter? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And it says at the end of there, in verse 41, it says... So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000, first megachurch in history, boom, right there. Like instantaneously. Pretty amazing and profound. Where they're all together in this place. And now here, as the Spirit of God moves forward, our passage comes just right after, and it gives us a picture of what that church is like, how they were devoted to God and they were devoted to one another, and by the power of it, they actually turned the world upside down. They changed the world. Now, most of the book of Acts, or all the book of Acts, is a historical book as it's telling us what happened And so it's very descriptive, like this is what happened. But you can also pull out moments like this where it's an example for us as the church to look at and be like, man, this is what our church should be all about. This is what our church should actually look like. And so they're going to put the text on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, if you have your Bibles or your, your phones or your iPads, whatever, you can read it with us as well. And verse 42, it says this. Right after 3,000 of them are added, this is what it gives, an explanation of the church. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all 
as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's, it's an amazing picture. I mean, if that could be said of your church, it would be pretty amazing and profound that you were devoted to these things and the Lord is adding to your number day by day those who are being saved. In the first couple of verses, that's where I'm kind of like springboard off as it gives kind of an overview and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon everybody and then it kind of gives a breakdown of what that actually looked like. And so what I want to call for us as the church here in Lake Orion is that we would look at this text and say, man, I want to be devoted to those same things. I want to be all in on the church in those things. I want to be a part of a church like that. Because it says they were devoted to these things. The word really there, if you look into the Greek, it's continually devoted. That they were not just in one moment, like, okay, I'm devoted. And then a couple months later, you're kind of like, eh. But they were continually devoted to these things. So that's what I want to look at today. What were they continually devoted in? What, what, were they, what were they all in on? What were they wanting to give their lives to as the church, the first church in Acts? Well, if you look in verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And then later on, just, just a little bit down in verse 46, it says, and day by day, they were attending the temple together and their homes together. There was this, this, this constant going into the temple and then also going into their homes together to live life with one another. So the first thing I see in the text that they are devoted to, they were all in on was the word of God. You see, they were all in on the apostles' teachings. For them, they didn't have the Bible like we had. They didn't have the New Testament of all the New Testament epistles and the gospels and all that. Actually, most of what they were writing and sharing became scripture. So just as they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, we are the same or should be the same as the apostles' teachings are right here in the word of God as the Holy Spirit moved them to write them exactly like they were. So 3,000 of them there under the reign of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God came, and they're hungry for the Word of God. They want to know what the Lord has for them. They couldn't get enough of it. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're being filled with the Word of God. And man, I want you to see here in a moment, and I want you to be committed to this, that where the Holy Spirit reigns in your church, the Word of God will also reign. Where the Holy Spirit reigns in your church, there will be a hunger for the Word of God. There'll be a striving, there'll be a wanting to know the Lord more, wanting to hang on the words of the apostles' teachings, and wanting to know what the Lord has for them. And the early church is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's just come, and thousands come to know Christ, and they're instantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. Man, they want to know what the Lord has for them, continually being devoted to the word of God. They Day by day, it says. Now, it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean as you get into the text, doesn't mean that every person that came to know Jesus was for sure every single day in the temple and every single day in someone's home studying the word of God or reading the word of God. And then you'll see as they were breaking bread together, like what we just did, part of it was a meal and also communion together. But it doesn't mean that exactly every single day, for sure, every one of them, but it was a normal occasion that they were devoted to the word of God. They wanted to hear the apostles' teachings. And then 
happened as they would go into the temple for the main teaching and then into their homes to break bread together. As you read about it, most people believe that they probably gathered together in Solomon's portico as Josephus, one of the main Jewish uh, historians, describes it big enough to for sure hold 3,000. Doesn't mean that they were all there, but they would gather together in that place and hear the public teaching of the word of God And then they'd be in their homes together, doing life, as we'll see in a moment, together, and breaking bread together, celebrating communion together, and hearing and wrestling with the word of God, and all the apostles had taught them together in one place. And I love it, because when you read Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, there's just, you know, that story I just told you, it's an amazing and profound story, as what Jesus did was amazing, but he said, you'll go on and do much more because of the helper. Again, we're going to look at this in a number of weeks. But what's profound is on the first day of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 come to know Jesus. Because the power of the Holy Spirit working in the heart of the teacher, Peter, but also in the people of hearing it. And can can I just remind you, the Holy Spirit's still working through the power of the teaching of the Word of God. It's still happening. God laid something on me a number of years ago and opened my eyes that every Sunday, I'm not the Apostle Peter for sure, but every Sunday, the Spirit of God is continually doing what he did on Pentecost on that day. It's fascinating. Like I stand up here oftentimes and I'll preach and someone will come up to me downstairs or write me an email the next week or talk to me sometime later and be like, hey Jim, Pastor Jim, when you said this, man, God really spoke to my heart and I gave my life to Jesus or I made this change in my life. And I'm thinking, I'm like, when did I say that? Was that last week or the week before? Because I have trouble remembering, but I don't think I said any of those things. And what's amazing and profound is, is that I can get up here, teach the word of God, Pastor Alex can, Pastor Chris can, or any other communicator can get up and preach the word of God. And I'll say this, because this is what the Lord laid on my heart, but the Holy Spirit is interpreting it to every one of you in your own soul, because you have the spirit of God living in you. And the spirit of God is using my mouth to speak to you individually exactly what you need to hear. The word of God, by the power of the spirit of God, is still going out today still happening today. And can I tell you, it's still miraculous today. Pretty, pretty miraculous. When I teach, and I don't say something, but the Spirit of God said it to you. It's pretty profound and miraculous and amazing. God's still doing that. God's still teaching us by the power of his word. The word of God is something that the church, our church, should be committed to. Not just in word. And you can sit here all today with me. You can join us online and be like, absolutely, we're committed to the word. But are you committed to coming into this place on a regular basis and hearing the word? Are you committed to to joining a smaller group of people to dive deeper after the Sunday sermon? Are you committed to opening up the word of God on your own and reading it so the spirit of God can use it in your heart and soul? Are you committed to joining a, a class this, this, this fall that you could jump in and dive deeper in a specific topic or whatever it may be? Because we can say all day long, yeah, we're committed to the word of God, but if the word of God is not something you're actively, continually devoted to, it's just words. It's just things you're saying. But we just see with these people, and they are committed to the word of God. 
A spirit-filled church is a church that is devoted to the word of God. So I just ask you, like, what, what, what does that do for you? What does that look like for you? Is the word of God something that you're all in on? You're devoted to? It's a vital part of your life that day by day, I mean, they're day by day going into the temple. We struggle week by week to come in and hear collectively the word of God preached. Where's your priorities in life? Personally? As a, as a family? As a marriage? As a couple? Is the word of God something that you're devoted to? It's not my prayer for this fall, for us as we move into the fall, that we would be a church that is devoted to the word of God, that the spirit would have free reign and it would start in your personal journey with God, that you would make it a priority that, man, I'm gonna spend time with the Lord each week. Man, I don't wanna be so like legalistic, like, man, you have to do it every day or God's looking down like, I can't believe you. No, like what does it look like for you in the week to actively spend time with the Lord in the word of God? What does it look like for you husbands to open up or at least talk about and share with your spouse about the word of God? What does it look like in your family with young children? Are we just depending on Josh to raise your children up in the word of God? What does it look like for you to be a part of this, as we're going to talk about in a moment, collectively to be all in in the fall, coming, making it a priority to be here on Sunday mornings to hear the word of God preached, to be in a smaller setting with other people, to wrestle with the word of God together? What does it look like for you? Because my prayer is that we would be a church that is love for the word of God. We're devoted to the hearing of the apostles' teaching and the word of God. Together, what else are they devoted to? If you look in the end of the verse there, it says, or the middle of the verse, it says they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then in verses 44 and 45, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And then in verse 46, it says, and day by day, they're attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So not only were they, they weren't just devoted or all in with the word of God, they were devoted to doing life together. That's what I read here is doing life together. What does that actually look like? Well, the first thing he says is fellowship. And then it's kind of, you see what that actually actively looks like in the rest of the rest of the text. Now, it's fascinating when you, when you think about it. If I just asked you for a moment, man, we're going to have fellowship after this. Like in Christianity, we throw this word around. It's kind of like a, a Christianese word, like fellowship. I grew up in a church where there's a fellowship hall. Anybody else? It's where you serve cookies and punch. All the kids run out with Kool-Aid mustaches and the carpet's destroyed. And, right? Now we have community rooms. Right? But what does the word fellowship actually mean? Well, the word used here is the, work, the word, Greek word koinonia. It's not found anywhere previously in any of the Gospels. And this is actually the first occurrence it's found in the New Testament. And at the root of its meaning is commonness. 
So for example, Koine Greek is the New Testament Greek of the people. It's the common Greek of the day. That word common, it's the commonality or the commonness Greek of the day. And he's using the word here. He's saying, really, it denotes that there's some sort of sharing. Every time it's used in the New Testament, it denotes some kind of sharing. Sharing Uh, sharing something with someone or sharing in something someone else has given or experiencing something that someone has shared with you. In Acts, I'll just say this, the emphasis when this word is used, it's used in fellowship or participation, other words, it's on contributing or being generous or giving. When you look in the book of Acts, fellowships cost something to the early church, unlike some sentimental word we use today, fellowship for them was this life together in costliness with each other. To them, it wasn't just punch and cookies after the service. It didn't just take place uh, in the church building. For them, fellowship is through giving of themselves. It costs them something to fellowship together. And here's what I want you to see is true Christian fellowship is about giving oneself away rather, hello, than the coming to the church or a small group or anything else that you're a part of in the church with an eye of only thinking about how you can fill your own needs. With with the highly individualistic culture we have and consumeristic culture we have in the American church today, most people come to the church thinking about how can I get my needs met? Man, I don't like the way that guy preaches. I'll go to the church up the road. I don't like the the kind of music they do. I'm going to that church. Man, they don't have a small group for young marrieds with children two and a half years old and uh, not planning on having any other children. So I'm not going to that church. I'm not getting involved. No, no, true fellowship within the church is meant to be a mutual sharing of cost. It's familial, right? Example, John 1, 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have koinonia, fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, koinonia, is with the Father and with the Son, that there's a sharing there. There's a fellowship. It's profound and it's deep. The experience we have in fellowship with the Son and the Father, as we experience fellowship with Him, we draw closer to each other, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy excuse me, fellowship with one another. I think one of the most amazing examples of this in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 8, 4 and 5. You can write down, look at it later. In verse 4, we've preached on this before, the Macedonian church was begging for the privilege to take part or take an offering in participating, the word koinonia there, in the offering that was there for, for the churches that needed help. What's amazing is that the church of, of Macedonia was a very poor, poverty-stricken church. But they were determined to practice fellowship by giving to others. Why? Well, here's Why? The answer is in the next verse. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. He's saying here that, man, if we have true fellowship with God through Christ, it will naturally result in fellowship with each other, costly fellowship. 
Not like, hey, we're going to have barbecue after church and have a conversation. But true fellowship is life on life together. Costly life on life together. When we think about this word, I'll tell you, man, it gets thrown around within Christianity a lot. I'm not sure what it even means anymore in Christianity. That when I want you, when you hear about that, when you hear the word fellowship, I want you to remember from this point on generous life on life community. Doing life with each other that's costly. Man, if we want to have true fellowship together, we have to be givers. We have to be people that give of ourselves to others, to our church. That when the Holy Spirit reigns in the church, we'll not only be devoted to the word of God, we'll be devoted to one another through fellowship, through costly fellowship together. That's what fellowship is. It's doing life together. And that means, as you see now, in verses 44 through 45, look what it says. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were committed to doing life together in fellowship and in unity and care of believers together. See, verse 44 is not speaking of like relinquishing all of your assets so that the church could have them and blah, blah, blah. It's rather what he's speaking of is being willing to use someone's possessions for the common good of the church. It's really, at the end of the day, the really true stewardship, thinking of what is ours is all from God and it's for his kingdom and he gives it to us to steward well. It's a voluntary act. What's talking about here in Acts, it's mostly wealthy believers of their time out of their own volition selling some of their personal belongings so that the poor among them could be taken care of. They still had the rights of ownership to their possessions. It was rather just selling some of their things to gain money to help the poor. That's why they said they, 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 they had their food in the homes and received it with gladness as they met together and saw all that they had was theirs together. It was voluntary. When you read just a couple chapters later, this famous passage of Ananias and Sapphira. And man, if I haven't heard some messages that try to scare people into being generous, man, if you don't give and you lie to God, you're gonna be struck dead in the parking lot. Like, that's not what's happening. Ananias and Sapphira were not, like, judged because they didn't give what they had. Ananias and Sapphira were judged because they lied to God. They freely, as probably wealthy believers, sold some property, and we see this text playing out, and they were bringing it to the church to help the poor among them, and they lied to them. That's, that's why, that they lied before the Lord. At the end of the day, this is not, we, this is not, like, for them, where we get like, man, we just need to be all things are, are to be brought in and distributed equally. That's not what he's saying at the end of the day is that the community had love and support and had true fellowship one with another so much so that it was costly to one another to do life in sharing and walking together. Man, a, a spirit-filled church has unity and care one for another to do life with each other, to carry each other's burdens, to pray for one another to walk with one another, right? And even to, there's a fellowship element into the breaking of bread. It says that they were committed, they, that they, were, they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the, to, the, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And even as they met, right? This is probably not just a meal. 
It's referring to what we call communion, the Lord's Supper, that they would have shared a meal together and afterwards, the wine that they had there and the bread that they would have, they would, they would celebrate together the Lord's Supper towards the tail end of the meal, celebrating what Christ had done on their behalf together. They were devoted to this picture as even 2 Corinthians says, the Apostle Paul says, that we fellowship in the Lord's body and blood being shed and they would do that one with another, committing themselves to one another walking with each other. There's been a lot of stuff at the church that's happened in the last month. A number of funerals and just people walking through challenging seasons. And I can tell you, I have not been more proud of the church in a long time to watch as I saw groups, life groups, come alongside other believers and walk with them in those seasons. I saw, I've seen life groups walking with people within their group, providing meals for them for months because they're walking through really challenging seasons. I've seen life groups as uh, funerals are here, they're here serving those people in their group, doing life with them, bringing them meals after a tragedy happens in their life, being here greeting their, their guests as the funeral's held, and doing things the day of to care for them. We've seen people caring for one another. Man, my heart just is like, yes. That, that's the point of us fellowshipping together at cost. It's gonna cost me time and it's gonna cost me treasure and it's gonna cost me my efforts for me to be one with other believers and walk with them. It's part of this whole deal. I'll just tell you, being a part of church is not you coming in, slipping into church and slipping out and not knowing anyone, not serving anyone, not, 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 not being generous with anyone. That is not church. That's consumerism. That's me coming to church to get my fix and my fill so I can feel empowered for the rest of the week. That's great. We want that. We want the spirit of God to move us from this place to go live on behalf of his kingdom and move forward the kingdom of God. But it's more than that. It's walking with one another. It's diving into the word of God with one another. It's being mutually accountable to one another. It's being committed to fellowship. Well, I'll just tell you, I've heard, as a pastor, you hear all the time, well, well, I know, Jim, you want us to join a group, but I don't need a group. I don't need any more friends. Well, I, I don't know where in the description it says, find a friend. Texas number today. It's not about that. You might not need the community that's found in a group, but what if someone else needs it and you're the agent which God uses to show grace to that individual? What if it's not you gaining something by joining a group, but you giving something because that's what fellowship is. It's costly. What if it's you just open your home so that a group of people could gather together and dive deeper in the word of God and, and invite people in to find communal relationships together? Well, Jim, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really need to serve in the church because you know what? It's like I did it for like 10 years and I'm my five-year sabbatical now. Well, sabbaticals are great and I encourage it. People that come from really diving in other areas and other churches and they have needed time to rest, that's amazing. But eventually we dive back in. We're committed to one another in serving and loving one another. I'll tell you, if this is a place you call home and you, you're here and you're walking through life here, you've been here for years and you've never engaged in generosity in the church and in giving, 
Fellowship costs something. If we all took the position that, man, I, I don't need to be generous in this place, the lights wouldn't be on anymore and the place would be empty. Because fellowship costs something. Community and care for the believers walking through life together costs something. And so my, my ask for you today is, as we enter into the fall, what is it for you? What is fellowship for you, for you to jump in, to be all in, to do life together? And then lastly, as I gotta finish, it says, they were devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is most likely speaking of known recited prayers as well as prayers together as they met in the temple and they met in their homes. It's pretty amazing to see when you look at the book of Acts. Prayer wasn't just something they did in transition between songs on Sunday mornings. It wasn't just something they did before dinner or before bed. Prayer was a vital part of their everyday life. And I can't say this more. A spirit-filled church is devoted. They are committed. They are all in on prayer. You, you can't go very far in the book of Acts to see in so many areas of the life how they prayed in every moment for many different things. Acts 1, choosing of leaders. Acts 4, for boldness in the face of persecution. Acts 6, choosing of leaders as they grew. Acts 9, for the resurrection of Tabitha. Acts 10, the leading of Peter to Cornelius for salvation. Acts 12, for the release of Peter from prison. Before sending the first mission team in Acts 13. The appointing of the new church leaders in Acts 14. Paul and Silas in prison, resulting in the conversion of a jailer. Acts 16, when departing the church, uh, from the church in Ephesus. Acts 20, when leaving Paul to go to Jerusalem, as he's certainly going to be imprisoned. Acts 21. While Paul is worshiping and receiving guidance for future ministry plans, Acts 22. Paul praying for healing, Acts 28. A spirit-filled church is devoted prayer, not just in the hard times, not just when we need something, but because we love the Lord, because it's vital about being a part of the faith. It's vital to walking with Jesus in everything we do. And the Lord wants to hear from you. I had this amazing time. This last year, I told you guys last summer how I went on this trip on my sabbatical. I'll tell you again, I've told you many times before, we're out west for a month, and we're just trying to, I'm trying to really be engaged with my kids, and we stayed in a tent for a month, and so they had these bunk bed cots, and I would go in, and we'd read our Bible together and just pray together, and we had just gotten to, the day before, to Yellowstone National Park, and we're staying just outside of Yellowstone, and we're gonna have to wake up just to get into the park at like 5 a.m. and go in, and I'll never forget it's a really powerful moment. doesn't seem like it, but it's a very powerful moment for my kids and my family. And we're there in the tent, and we just got done reading through the Gospel of John. We're reading in John, and, and I said, hey, who wants to pray tonight? And they were like, Paisley, my littlest one, eight at the time, she says, or seven at the time, she said, I'll pray. And she was like, uh, what should I pray for? And I just felt like the Spirit of God said, pray for God to show us something cool tomorrow. And so I said, why don't you just pray and ask God to really show himself and show us something cool as we go into Yellowstone tomorrow. 
So we woke up in the morning. It's like five in the morning. When this long line, we get in. It's dark really when we enter in to Yellowstone. And we come through. We're driving into the entrance. We're no more than maybe a half a mile into at the entrance of Yellowstone. It's foggy. You can't see anything. You can barely see on the road. I'm driving very slow. I feel like I'm the first one into the park. And this is the first thing we see in the park. <laughs> Just walking down the road. And I have a video that I would show you, but I couldn't get it in time to bring it in here, of us driving next to this huge buffalo coming out of this like mist, walking down the side of the road, and I'm driving my Jeep, almost petting it. My kids are just going bonkers. And we stopped just a little bit up. I felt the spirit of God say, remember what you prayed last night. And I said to my daughters, I said, hey, do you remember what we prayed for last night? They're like, yeah, we asked God to show us something cool. I was like, wasn't that cool? God wants to be so a part of your life that he can answer seemingly small, insignificant prayers in your life. He wants to show himself in amazing ways that aren't just some crazy thing or when I get in trouble or I need the Lord. He wants to be intricately involved in your day-to-day -day life. We as a church, a spirit-filled church, as we move into the fall, and really always just my reminder to you today as we move into the fall, we should be committed to prayer. Prayer in, in this place, prayer in our groups, in our families, in our personal time, as we're constantly going before the Lord. Can I just remind you, if we are a church that doesn't pray, imagine what that expresses to the Lord. You know, prayer isn't just about what we get from the Lord. Prayer is about our posture before the Lord. It's a posture of dependence, that I'm always in need, and I just want to be with the Lord. So if I'm not praying, imagine what that says to the Lord. We don't need him. It says to the Lord, hey, we're good. We don't really need anything at the moment, but once something falls apart or a mess happens, we'll be in contact. Imagine that with the Lord. Man, this, this coming year, entering into the fall and this season, we're gonna have special times of prayer where I'm gonna call us to gather into this place and, and worship and pray together. And I'll just say, on Sunday mornings, we have 900 people, 800 people on Sunday, and if 20 people show up, my heart's gonna sink. Like, are we gonna be a people that gathers together and prays and asks for the Lord to move? If, if God, if prayer isn't a part of your small group that you're in, start. If prayer is not a normal place in your family's life, make it one. And if prayer is not normally something where you're speaking and sharing with the Lord your longings and your desires, that needs to change. So as we enter in and we, we're a spirit-filled church, may we be a people is filled with the spirit of God going before the Lord because, man, we are lost without him. We don't just need the Lord. Man, we, we, we need the Lord. And I love the result as I have to finish. In verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. I'll tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are leaving other churches and coming. 
He said, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A spiritual church is committed to the word of God. It's committed to doing life with other believers. And it's committed to prayer as we walk this thing out. Man, my prayer is that you would be committed to those things going into the fall. Wherever that hits you, wherever that lands on you, they're gonna throw a number on the screen. You're gonna see this over the next month, what we call the church. We wanna be all in together. Man, if, if, if there's any area that I spoke, we'll leave that up for a while. The band can come, I'm gonna pray. And if there's anything, you're like, man, over the, today or over the coming weeks, you could take a picture of that. Just text the keyword all into that number. And man, we just to love connect you. Maybe all in means, man, I wanna be a part of a group or man, I need to serve or I don't know what it looks like for me to be all. I just wanna to talk to someone or whatever it may be. Man, we want us in this place to be all in, not just here sometimes and out, but walking through life together, committed to the word of God, committed to one another and committed to prayer together. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for today. Thank you for your word, the beautiful picture the first church is to us. May we be people that are committed to the same. That it be a priority for us to gather in this place because you do something when your saints gather together and the word of God is declared. When we sing praises to you, you move among us. God, may we be committed together, together, literally together in fellowship, costly fellowship, in generosity with one another, in the church, in whatever way you deem for us to walk in costly fellowship together. And then God, we would be committed to prayer, starting in our walks, in our families, and then in our church, praying over our families, and our church, our community, and our country, that you would move, God. We can't do it without you. There's a reason why you sent the helper, because we need help. So God, would you move among us? We just want to give you praise and honor and glory. You're worth it all. So hear our praise as we sing before you, Lord. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.